Hi, my name is Mark Williman, the host of Supervisory Basics, a 12-episode podcast series that examines how individual contributors can effectively transition to effective leaders. This is episode number one, and the topic is helping newly promoted managers succeed. Good for them, good for you. This series is based on the popular Supervisory Basics training program from Impact Achievement Group, a training and performance management consulting company. The Supervisory Basics training program consists of 12 individual yet linked two-hour training modules delivered in leader-led or e-learning formats. For more information, visit impactachievement.com. Joining me to discuss today's topic is Dr. Julie White, Senior Managing Partner at Impact Achievement Group. Dr. White has been an international speaker, seminar leader, consultant, professor, and author for more than two decades. Julie is also the author of five of the best-selling audio and video programs in the U.S., including the national bestseller, Image and Self-Projection, The Psychology of Self-Esteem, and the recently published book, People Leave Managers, Not Organizations. She is also the co-author of the Supervisory Basics series. Welcome, Julie. Oh, thanks, Mark. I'm glad to be here. Let's start off with some basics. Julie, what makes the transition from an individual contributor to a supervisor or manager role so challenging, and why do so many new managers fail? Well, there's a number of reasons why this is such a a challenging transition, maybe the most challenging transition that anyone makes in their career. There's a skill set issue. Managing others puts a premium on interpersonal skills that being an individual contributor doesn't. There's the whole challenge of being able to balance both the task and the relationship, which doesn't come easily to many new supervisors. There's the change in the nature of the relationship with coworkers that new supervisors have if they're promoted internally and they've been friends with people before, that's oftentimes a difficult transition for people. Um, There's the built-in assumption that if you're a good individual contributor, then you'll be a good supervisor or manager. But that's really only half of the skill sets necessary for the new role. And yet we often give people no real training in how to do it. We don't train or develop or nurture them in their new role. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So what are the most common traps that new supervisors fall into during, say, the first month on the job? There's a number of traps that new supervisors can fall into. One of them, pretty obvious, is coming on too strong, trying to rely solely on their new position power. I'm the boss here, and here's some changes that are going to be made. There's a new sheriff in town. That's always a problem. On the other side of the coin, there's also a failure to build and earn personal power. And a lot of of individual contributors don't really realize that it's not just position power you need to rely on, it's the personal power that people admire or like or trust what you're saying that makes the difference in your success or failure. So both of those two issues. There's the friendship trap, again, trying to maintain relationships in the same context as they were before people became supervisors. doesn't mean you can't still maintain the friendships, but the context of that has to change. Um, There's the trap of trying to make changes too quickly. Some people really want to look like a leader, and so they overextend what they know about the job without really having the, the, the background that they need at the beginning. And then finally, there's Supervisors who fail to clarify their expectations earlier in the job, they, they 
fail to sort of say, here's the new rules of engagement without coming on too strong. Nevertheless, there are some changes, and here's how we need to work together effectively. The costs, Julie, um, and the risk of a new manager who fails are well documented. But how can an unprepared new manager affect customer loyalty? Okay, well, you know, Mark, very few tenured supervisors, much less new supervisors and managers, really understand the value proposition as seen through the customer's eyes. And that's very different than managing for technical skills or technical expertise. It is understanding that balance between the product, the price, and the experience that creates an emotional connection with the brand. And as a new supervisor, we often tend to focus on the internal metrics of the company, and those often are very different than what the customer themselves values. So it's easy to focus on those objective measurements and then take your eye off the ball of what the customer values because they value that experience subjectively. So just recently, I was on a little commuter flight, and the flight attendant there did I'm sure she did what she was supposed to do according to the checklist that she had. She did roll her little cart down the aisle and she gave everyone a drink and then she came back and picked up everyone's drink and then she went and sat down for the rest of the flight. So I'm sure if there was a checklist, she would have done what she was expected to do, but she certainly didn't engage any of the rest of the customers or build any loyalty to a customer. And Managers who are unaware, unskilled about how to manage that customer engagement have effort that customers see as only average. And you don't build loyalty with, we're no worse than anybody else. That's a real challenge, is how do I manage people so that they will engage with customers when it's necessary to do so. And that requires employees to give their discretionary effort. And managing so that people will give their discretionary effort is a real skill that even many tenured managers don't have, much less new ones. Okay. That's a great segue to our next question. Are people born with the traits to make them good leaders, or can they be taught the skills to become good leaders? Well, you know, that's a question that people have been asking for the last hundred years, probably. It is, it's an age-old question. Is it nature or nurture, right, that makes people good leaders? And the research on that is still not conclusive. But what we do know is just like any other job, there are certain people with natural talents as managers and leaders. There are people with average talents as a manager or leader. And then there are people who simply are not going to fit as a manager or leader. So I, I think in any job, you can see that there are those three categories. And I think most of the people listening to this have had the unfortunate experience of working for someone who just wasn't a leader. All right? It's a painful process. Now, having said that, if I get anyone with natural or average talents, of course, those people are going to benefit from skills and knowledge. So supervisory skills, performance management, project management, decision-making skills, all of those things can be of tremendous benefit. But I think that those kinds of training programs are manifestly more effective when we've selected the right person to start with and that companies get a low return on training when we've made the wrong choice. You spoke about how friendships are an area where new managers often find trouble. Can you elaborate on this? Yeah, this, this really is an issue for lots of new managers, and many people have told me forcefully that they have been able to maintain their friendships as a supervisor, and it's worked out just fine. So I fully understand that. So it's not friendships per se, 
but it is the responsibility that the new supervisor now has of managing the performance of those people along with the budget and rules that they did not have as an individual contributor. And that changes the context of the relationship for the people who report to them. So most of the people who have been effective at maintaining their friendships have told me that they've sat down and had an honest conversation with their friends and said, I'm in a different role now. I want to maintain the friendship, but I also just need to be clear about the fact that sometimes I'm going to have to manage your performance and here's what's going to happen with that. So without that, if I just try to maintain the relationship in the same way that it was, then people can certainly perceive favoritism or bias in the way I interact with my friends. And I've had many supervisors and managers who have bent so far over backwards not to give the impression of favoritism that they actually have uh, negatively impacted their friends. All right. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, there's always the issue, the unfortunate fact that some friends from the past may try to leverage that friendship for a special treatment, and that's hard for a new supervisor to manage both personally and psychologically, right? I don't want to be seen as a hard ass, but I don't want to forgo the friendship, so how do I deal with that? Mm -hmm, Sure. And then there's also the issue that a lot of new supervisors are not real clear about, and their friends may not be clear about, but as a member of management, you are now a representative of the company 24-7. And any information that you hear outside of work, you are now required to deal with or to report. So, you know, someone who's talking about how they've just been diagnosed with a medical problem or someone who's talking about the problems with a new baby and how tired they are. Those are all things that as a friend, I'm, I'm perfectly willing to hear. But as a supervisor, that's information that can impact your uh, functioning on the job and I need to deal with it. And so that's something many supervisors don't realize. So what role can the human resources department play in developing good managers? Okay. Well, There's a number of roles that HR can play that are very substantive roles. The first one, of course, is in recruiting, so that with focused selection, we get the right people promoted to these roles. That makes all the difference in the world. And then, of course, we also need to make sure that new supervisors and managers get the requisite compliance training early on so that they are aware of the fact that, for instance, that they're a representative of the company 24-7, so that they don't don't, uh, inadvertently make mistakes early on. I think that they can provide a sounding board, perhaps a seasoned supervisor in some sort of a buddy system during the first six months for people so that I'm not having to learn completely on my own. But by far the most important role that HR can play, I believe, is to really develop a a regimen of training and development over time, not an individual event that's offered now and then, but um, a, a clear developmental path for people to build that supervisory acumen. So we're not just leaving them to try and learn this somehow on their own. Yes, and of course, uh, I'll plug it for you since you didn't mention it. Uh, Organizations can also purchase the Supervisory Basics series from the Impact Achievement Group, uh, which is a tremendous um, uh, training program to help develop um, newly appointed managers. Well, you know, it's, it markets a, it's a completely new role that requires a critical new skill set. How do I manage the performance of others is very different than how do I manage my own performance, right? And mm-hmm. so our whole goal is to help new managers and supervisors become successful at that very difficult job. Excellent. Julie, thank you so much for your time and your insights today. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you. 
for those of you who are looking for more information on the Impact Achievement Group and the Supervisory Basics Training Program, again, please visit impactachievement.com. Uh, you can also download or subscribe to this podcast series by going to impactachievement.com. And we hope you join us next month for episode number two, where we'll provide insights on how new managers can incorporate the customer's point of view into performance results. Thanks, Julie. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you.